let's pray to get let's pray together father in heaven we come to you this morning with our hearts heavy because we know that christmas is 8 days away and yet we're also in mark 15 moving toward the crucifixion of jesus Yet, Father, we want to push against this notion that Christmas is about something other than the Lord Jesus and all that who He is or what He's about. Father, today we pray that the birth, the coming, the advent, the incarnation would be right before us, but also the holy, faithful, crucified, risen Lord Jesus would be as well. Lord, teach us this from your word today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. If you would, turn the Bible to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, that's where we've been, that's where we're at, that's where we're going to be for a while. Uh, If you have a pew Bible. It's page 938 if you want to use the pew Bible there, the black ones. I love doing baptisms. Uh, For some reason, the water was super cold today, and I'm still kind of chilled. Kenny, you still cold? I'm cold. Emily, you still cold? I'm cold up here. Uh, Maybe I can get preaching and warm myself up, but I do. I love love baptisms. You know, if we take serious the the Word of God and and Jesus' teaching, if we take that serious, then Absolutely, we want to bring ourselves to Christ. We want to be responding to all that we're learning about ourselves uh, and our flaws, and we also want to be responding about all we're learning about God and his love for us and his uh, patience with us and the grace that he extends to us, and we want to be going to Christ. Well, upon coming to Christ and coming to know him and understand him, be connected to him and say, man, he's, he's what I'm about now. He's what I want to live for. He truly is my God, my king. In doing that, We want to hear his great commission and say, lead me, Lord, lead me, Lord. And what he's leading us to do is be involved in this. We want other people to know Christ. We want to be living our lives so that other people will know Christ. We want everything that we're doing to be a picture of Jesus and be pointing people to Jesus. And then we're fully aware, that's the point I made after the baptisms, we are fully aware that he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So that means there's a lot left. That means I'm not where I need to be. That means there's still a lot, a lot left for me to do in following Christ. I need to be one who keeps looking to God. I have been a Christian now for quite some time. I am a minister and I teach you guys the Bible. But at the same time, I'm totally not what God wants me to be yet. I'm a work in progress and he's doing that. And that goes for every one of us. And the, and the very words of Christ are teaching us that. And I, I'm glad to see uh, two other people here today, like, like Kenny and Emily, who are seeing that and embracing that and saying, hey, that's who I am and that's where I'm going. I'm committed to Christ and I want to keep following him. I want a church to help me, a pastor to help me. I want to belong to a people that will help me do that. And that's awesome. And I thank God that here in this Christmas Advent season, we, we have that. Well, 
when you start teaching people about Christ, there's a lot of different directions to go, right? The Old Testament's 39 books. The New Testament's 27 books. Combined, that's 66 books. That's a lot. Some of y'all been coming to church here for two years, and all we've looked at is Mark the whole time, right? It's just been Mark for the last two years. We haven't even got to any of the other 65 books. There's a lot. Well, in Mark, we get to the end, like in all the Gospels, and we're seeing what happened to Jesus. And it's not pretty. We had one person, a good faithful church member, tell us last week that just thinking about the scourging, it just seemed so gruesome that they almost wanted to walk out. They didn't want to hear it anymore. And that's true. It is nasty. It is horrible what they did to Jesus. But we need to understand that. Because they didn't so much do it to Jesus as Jesus let them do it to him. Now they were evil and wicked and wrong to him, but only because he let them, or only because he allowed them. That's where we're at today. Last week was the scourging, this week is the mocking. I hope that you do not like mockery any mockery. I hope in your household that you don't make fun of people and you don't put up with making fun of people. I hope you understand that respect and honor is deserved for everybody. That the very golden rule that Jesus lays down is that we're to treat people the way we would want them to treat us. That's Jesus' golden rule. So it doesn't matter how foolish or ridiculous or wrong they are, they should get from us kindness and faithfulness, and loving and serving. And I've been hammering that to our church. There's no sense in the world why in your home and at your workplace and in this community and at your schools that you should be treating people any way that's wrong. God's in control of what happens. God's in control of favor. And you getting out of line and away from Christ is not right. The golden rule is to treat people the way you wish they would treat you. And so I hope you are somebody that does not stand for any sort of mockery, any sort of making fun, any sort of trying to humiliate somebody or put somebody down or make them feel bad. That's the way it should be. Christians should be leading the way in our community, in our world with this. It's not right. It's not good. In our passage today, they're mocking Jesus. And it's not a very long passage, it's just a few verses, but I, I, I want to just look at that because I want, I want you to be bothered by it. And I hope that over the next 30 minutes, you're going to get bothered by this. You're going to get bothered by it. Read with me at Mark 15, beginning in verse 16. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace or the praetorium, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. That's all the people. That's a lot of people. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, 
They stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. My first point today is they were mocking God. And I hope that bothers you. If you're here today and you're not really sure how Christian you are or how committed you are, you're not really sure if you want to be a part of a church, or I hope you will hear today that this church has the utmost reverence for God Almighty. I hope and pray that we as church people, as Christian people, live with a reverence for God. There is only one God. He sits high above all creation. He is the maker of everything, and it is by his power that all things exist and hold together. Without God and his sovereign holding every aspect of creation together, it would all fall apart. He has the power to do anything he wants to do, and we creatures ought to revere him in that way. We ought to be humble and lowly and bow down to him. We ought to give him the respect he so deserves, the honor he so deserves. We ought to worship him. But as you know, when honor is lacking, when respect is lacking, then everything becomes flippant and it becomes dishonoring and disrespectful. Think about a school, think about a, a family, think about a workplace. People make fun of each other or they, 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 they make fun of their uh, parents or they badmouth them or they, they, they cuss them out. You know, Just take whatever sort of thing that is above you and think about how wrong people will be to them and the reason why is because there's no respect there. Well, it's a whole other conversation of uh, respect and they didn't earn my respect or respect is due. That's a whole other thing. If you need a lesson on authority, we'll get to that one soon. God doesn't have to earn your respect. And God doesn't have to earn your honor. We don't come to God and say, well, he ain't ever done anything for me, so why am I going to show him my respect? When that happens, people will mock God. Mock means to dishonor what deserves honor. Mock means to to make fun. And here, they are making fun of Jesus. In our passage, I want to remind you, Jesus has already been on trial. He's already been through all that questioning and and all of that. And they're asking him, are you the king? Are you the king? Are you the king? And Pilate's kind of stuck in this predicament. He wants to let Jesus go. He doesn't think there's anything wrong with Jesus. So he pulls out a criminal, a murderer, a robber, Barabbas. And he says, I'll let one of them go. And he's thinking, surely they're going to say Jesus. But they don't. They say Barabbas. They let the murderer, the criminal, the thief go free. And so Jesus is to be killed. And Pilate doesn't even want to kill him. But he has to because he caves into the pressure. It says there in verse 15, wishing to satisfy the crowd. He released for them Barabbas. And then it says this, he scourged Jesus and then delivered him to be crucified. So we pick up our passage today at verse 16. Jesus has already been scourged. He's already been beaten and whipped and ripped to shreds, literally. Isaiah in chapter 53 says that Jesus, after going through all of this, did not resemble a human. That's how badly he had been beaten. I know you've seen a deer hit on the highway before. 
and spread out everywhere. And you think, man, was that a dog or a deer or a dinosaur? Or what was that? Jesus wasn't spread out everywhere, but he had truly been dealt with, with a great hatred. It was evil. And they were whipping him and tearing him apart. He was a bloody mess. Then they sent him to be killed, to be crucified. And on the way, you've got this little scene, verses 16 through 20 here in Mark, where the soldiers are just having fun with him. It's like a, it's a brutality that shouldn't be happening. They, they, they've just beaten him, and he can hardly carry himself. We know that Jesus was very weak, and it's like, okay, take him to be crucified. And it's just on the way to be crucified that we pick up this little scene. It just adds insult to injury. On the way there, they called together the whole battalion, And they clothed him in a mock kingly outfit. Look what it says. They, they, they clothed him in a purple cloak. Well, purple is a, is a hard color to find. It's a hard color to produce. It's a hard color to make. And so purple, as you know throughout history, has been the color of royalty. When somebody's wearing purple, it's like, hey, they are kingship. They are kingly. They are royal. And they put that on him. They don't think he's royal. They just saw him beaten, he's bleeding, he can hardly take care of himself, and now they are taking him to die, and they're just doing this for fun on their own. A purple cloak. Well, kings wear cloaks, and kings also wear crowns, and here's where the crown of thorns comes in. They twisted together a crown of thorns. And as you know, we're not talking about the briars that are in your backyard, although the briars in your backyard can hurt you pretty good, can't they? If you're wearing shorts and the football goes into the briars, you got running the briars to grab the football, you'll probably come back out with some blood spots on your leg because the briars will get you. You've done that before. But we're talking about some much bigger briars. And they had wrapped this vine up and made a crown and pushed it down on his head. So it is stabbing him. He's bleeding. This is bad. I want to make a little side comment about the thorns. Do you remember in the beginning of creation that when God first made the world with plants and there was no sin, that there were no thorns? Do you remember this in Genesis chapter three? After Adam and Eve had sinned against God in the garden, disobeyed him, God cursed the man, he cursed the woman, and he cursed the serpent. Do you remember that? Well, in verses 17 of 18 of Genesis chapter 3, one of the curses is that now Adam would have to work hard against the cursed land. Now it would be the, where work before was something that was enjoyable. Now work is a, a challenge to him. It says you will have to work by the sweat of your brow to make food and to survive. And in those verses, he says, the very ground that you're working will produce thorns. These thorns that are in, in creation and in the, in the plants that we see are a part of the curse that God sent down. They are a part of the result of us sinning against God. And here, in a great irony, Jesus is dying for the sin of the world. He is dying to reverse the curse that is on us. And the very thing that came about because of the sin is now using against him on his head to punish him. 
Not only to hurt him and cause him pain, but to be a huge mockery of him. Like, yeah, you are a king. Nice crown you're wearing. It's a crown of thorns that is hurting him. It's a crown of thorns that pushes our thoughts back to Genesis chapter 3 when the sin happened against God and when God cursed cursed creation. Verse 18 says, and they began to salute him, hail, king of the Jews. They didn't believe he was the king of the Jews. They're just mocking him. They're just making fun of him. It's like when you see somebody that's not good at something and you say, hey, nice throw. Hey, throw it again. Nice throw you got there. And they're not good at throwing. It's like somebody who doesn't know how to talk well and so you start mocking the way they talk. You've seen that before, right? You ever known somebody that has a lisp or a stutter or doesn't know how to pronounce words right or didn't do well in school so their grammar's not good and so then people start making fun of them? You shouldn't do that. It hurts that person's feelings that, that you're making fun of them. You're getting enjoyment out of yourself at their expense. You're putting them down. That's wrong. We should never, ever do that. If there's ever a word that comes out of your mouth, Jesus said it came off of your heart, that ought to scare you with some of the ways you talk. We're a little loose with the OMGs and the GDs and the sweet baby Jesuses, and Jesus tells us that those words that come out of our mouth came off our heart. It's not just a word, it's a heart that has a problem. And then Paul writes in Ephesians chapter four that if there's ever a word to come out of your mouth, it ought to be only for the good of the situation, only for building up. We need to learn to bite our tongues. We need to learn to say a little bit less. And here, they're calling him the king. Hell, we praise you, they're saying. It says in the very next verse that they were uh, kneeling down in homage to him, that they were acting like they worshiped him. They don't worship him. They've just beaten him. Now they're taking him to kill him. They're just doing this to get a kick out of it. They're mocking God. Verse 19 goes on, and this is, I've got this underlined in my Bible. It's just, it's unbelievable. They were striking his head with a reed, a big long rod, like a stick, a plant. And Jesus is there bleeding with a crown on his head, and they're hitting him. You ever seen a man swing a stick? They're hitting God in the head. And while they're doing that, they're spitting on him. Hey, king. Hitting him. It's an ugly, ugly scene. And then it's like they realize, hey, we better hurry and get him crucified, man. They're, they're, we're running out of time or whatever. And then it says they take all of that back off of him. They, put him, they, they get him in what he's going to be wearing to be crucified, which, which we're told is nothing but maybe just a cloth wrapped around his waist. So he's crucified naked uh, to add to the embarrassment and the humiliation. They take all of that back off of him. Then it says they put some, some clothes back on him, and they let him out to be crucified. They're mocking him. I want to remind you, though, that this is really nothing new, is it? People have been mocking God for a long time. You remember when God told Noah to start building the ark that was going to flood? It took Noah, God gave Noah 120 years to build it. It's going to be a worldwide flood and gave him 120 years to build it. 
It had never flooded like that before, possibly never even rained before. And he's building this giant boat. You know everybody was going, yeah, right, Noah. What's that boat for? Oh, God told me to, it's about to flood. Yeah, sure it is. They just mocked him. You remember the story of David and Goliath? You remember what Goliath, the great Philistine giant, the most dominant warrior on all the world, remember what he used to say? The Bible says that Goliath would come out every day and he'd look over at the Israelites and he'd say, your God can't save you. That's what he would say. Any of y'all want to fight me? You won't win. Your God can't help you. You know what God's people did time after time? They wimped out. They bowed down to the mocking of God. You think God's afraid of a giant? Not at all. But Goliath would come out and say, your God can't save you. And finally one day, David had had enough and said, you know what? I can't beat that giant, but my God sure can. Let's go. And they told him to put on the armor. He said, I don't need any armor. But God was being mocked. And David said, I'm not going to let God be mocked anymore. You remember Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar was mocking God so much. Nebuchadnezzar was saying you had to pray to him, not to God. Daniel said it's not right. God finally dealt with Nebuchadnezzar. You remember Moses and Pharaoh? Moses kept telling Pharaoh, you better let, let, let the people go. And Pharaoh says, who says? And Moses says, well, God says. And Pharaoh goes, who's God? I'm God. Nobody's going to tell me to let him go. And then Moses started doing some, some miracles, the, the ten plagues, if you will. And at first, Pharaoh was like, I can do that. Turn water into blood, I can do that. I can get my magicians to do that. And Pharaoh pushed back to Moses and said, who's God? What's he going to do? He can't stop me. And he mocked God. And worse came to worse. And God finally brought the 10th plague and Pharaoh knew. You don't, you don't mock God. I remember being at the Kentucky State Fair this summer with my kids. If you go back to the inside building where like all the, you know where you get to like the pretzels and you get to try out all the different dips and where the little indoor food court is and you get back in that corner right over, there, right over by there, wherever that is, there's two booths that always stick out to me. One is in the far corner, there's an atheist booth. You may have seen that one before. They've got all these bumper stickers and t-shirts and stuff saying, God's not real. He's just a fake. God's just something that weak people need. Now, in all fairness, there's like nobody at their booth. A couple old guys look miserable. There's not a lot of people. I mean, most booths have people flocking around and, hey, tell us about it, you know. Nobody's at theirs. That's a mocking of God. On the other side, there was a, uh, an Islamic booth, and they had a big sign up that said, we believe in Jesus. 
Because Muslims do believe in Jesus. But they don't believe he's God. They don't believe he died. They don't believe this story about Jesus. To give him lip service without really believing in him is to mock him. To put a cloak on him and a crown on him and bow down to him without your heart bowing down to him is to mock him. And to say you believe in him but not to believe in him rightly is to mock him. They mocked him and this is nothing new. Do you remember Psalm 19 verse one? Or Psalm 14, I'm sorry. The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. You remember that verse? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Y'all, there's a world of people out there who are preaching to themselves that God isn't real because if he's not, then guess what? You do whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. You live however you want to. God is mocked. They mocked God. But secondly, I want you to hear, not only did they mock God, but listen to me. We at times mock God. We really do. If we're honest, there are times where we really are, just quite honestly, hypocritical. We will judge other people so hard and then hope that they don't judge us. We'll be so strict on people and then hope that they're not strict on us. We'll say that we believe certain things and then not really obey them. will fully understand that going to church doesn't really do anything for you. It's only by the blood of Christ and the grace of God that you're right with God. But then when we start bragging on ourselves, we'll talk about how good it is that we go to church. People do it all the time. We'll say that, man, I believe in Jesus. Then we won't trust him for anything. We'll say God's way is the best way, but then we'll push and fight and lose our witness and testimony and character to get our way. We'll know the golden rule, treat people the way we wish we'd be treated, and then we'll treat people wrong. We'll sit here today and hear me hammer how we're supposed to talk that comes off our heart, and we'll get out of here, and we'll still be foul-mouthed as can be. It's a mockery to God. The very basics of the gospel, right? The very basics of the gospel is that when you come to understand Christ, he will change your life. It doesn't mean he makes you perfect. It means he changes your heart. It means your heart is now sensitive to sin. It doesn't mean you don't sin. It just means you hate sinning and you don't want to sin anymore. Well, to be this person that's okay with sinning and doesn't repent of your sins, doesn't confess your sin, isn't really bothered by sins, and then just starts making an excuse for it is the opposite of being changed by it. I know some people in our community that I've been witnessing to and talking to about Christ and wanting them to come to church. They're talking to me about church, but part of the reason why they don't want to come to church is because they know some of the people that go to church here, if we're honest. And I'm kind of like, what, what do I do with that? I don't want there to be anybody that doesn't want to know God because I believe in him. I don't want there to be anybody that doesn't want to be a Christian because they know me and I'm a Christian. But when we mock God, we do not honor him. We do not respect him. We do not represent him right. And we do. We mock God. Do you remember just a few chapters back where Peter made that bold declaration, oh, I'll never deny you, Jesus. I will even die for you. Jesus says, slow your roll, Peter. 
You be careful with those bold statements. You're going to deny me three times. You remember that? What a mockery it is to make this bold statement of how committed to Christ you are when you're not that committed to Christ. If you want to make a bold statement, confess how needy you are. If you want to be a witness to the people around you in Fairdale and in your school or or in your family or on your street, make a bold confession about how needy you are for the forgiveness of your sins. That's our testimony. Our testimony is not how good we are. Our testimony is that we have mocked God and we're embarrassed of it and we're ashamed of it and we're convicted of it and we're asking God to forgive us of our sins. And he will. And upon being in that position, now we are strengthened to want to not shame him or mock him anymore. I'm not saying everybody is a mockery of God or making a mockery of God. But I am saying at times we're not what we're supposed to be and we know that and we need to be bothered by it. They mocked God. We mock God. But lastly, God cannot be mocked. They're mocking him, so to speak. It says in the word of God that they mocked him, Mark 15, verse 20. But I want to remind you that The Bible teaches us that God cannot be mocked. Turn with me, and this is where we'll end, to Galatians chapter six. If you don't know where Galatians is, keep going towards the end. You'll hit Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. The other day in our household, our kids were playing some basketball and it didn't end well and one came inside really, really upset. And I said, what happened? He said, such and such told me that I'm not any good and that I'll never, never be better than him. I said to him, and that bothers you? You gonna cry over that? People are gonna be telling you that the rest of your life. They've been telling LeBron James that every day of his life that he's not as good as Michael Jordan. Think he's crying about it? You got two options. You ask him to check it up and do a rematch and try to beat him again. Or you just shake it off and say, things you say to me aren't going to bother me. Y'all, Jesus wasn't bothered when they mocked him. He was doing it for them. He was doing it for us. God cannot be mocked. Christ is so secure in who he is and in his identity. He is God in the flesh. He came for this very moment. Do you remember in the great Christmas story when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant and he was embarrassed and he had resolved to divorce her quietly, it says, not desiring to put her to shame. Such an honorable man Joseph was. And do you remember, finally, the angel comes to him and tells him the whole story, gives him the scoop, fills him in, he understands. Do you remember what Joseph was told? And you will call him Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. 
Guys, from the very beginning, before he was born, while he was still in the womb, everybody that knew, knew that he was coming to be the Savior. He had to go to the cross. Jesus knew from day one that this was God's plan from the beginning of everything, that he would die for the sins of the world, that he would be a redeemer, deliverer, savior. That's what Jesus came to do. He knew where he was going. In the garden, we just read in the last chapter that Jesus prayed, Father, not my will, but your will be done. If there's any other way that this cup can pass from me, let it happen, but not my will, let's go. We've heard him say that the hour has come for him to depart out of the world, having loved his own and until the end. Jesus knew that he came to die for their sins, and they're mocking him, and Jesus just thinking, this is the plan of God. So in a sense, they're mocking God, but in a sense, you cannot mock God. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, and I know that we are bothered by words at times, right? But I want you to know that Jesus is not bothered by our words in a sense that it's putting him down or messing him up or messing with his self-image or self-esteem or anything like that. Look with me at Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. If you don't know this verse, I want you to know it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, look what he says. Paul, writing to the churches in Galatia, he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. See, a lot of times when you mock somebody, it's because you think you're getting away with it, or they're not going to do anything back, or what's the big deal? And surely that day it seemed... Like little old helpless Jesus wasn't going to do anything about it. But we know all too well that he certainly could have. But he didn't. Because greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his enemies. Many people will die for a loved one. Less will die for a stranger but who would actually lay down their life for their enemies? God. And God in the Lord Jesus Christ sent his son to die for your sins. And if you're gonna be right with God and you're gonna make it to heaven, it will only be because of the love of God sending his son to die in your place. And if you wanna be right with God and on your way to heaven, You have to understand this scene that we're reading in Mark 15 is happening because of God's commitment to you. And if you are convicted of your sins and bothered that they mocked God and we mocked God and God does not deserve to be mocked by us, then would you turn your life toward him? Would you seek him and turn your life around? And would you say, God, today, I don't have any answers or any proof or any explaining of how good I am, but I am here today saying, God, I need you. And there's no better time than the Christmas season. 
There's no better day than December 17th of 2017 for you to make a bold commitment in front of whoever you came to church with today and say, today I'm getting my life centered on Jesus. I don't want to mock him. I want to love him. I don't want to make fun of him. I want to worship him. I don't want to be all about me and trying to see how I can fit my desires into Christianity. Enough of every bit of everything like that. I come today saying, God, I got nothing else to say except for I believe you did that for me and I want to get right. And if that's you, trust in Christ. Go public with it. Let December 25th of 2017, this Christmas, may it be the first Christmas where your heart is fully set upon him. God cannot be mocked. It's been a busy week. From last Thursday to this Thursday, I did four funerals. And every time you go to a funeral, you've got family members there grieving because they don't know where their loved one is. Sometimes you know, and sometimes you don't know, and sometimes you're wondering, and I've been with people, got a lady in the church right now that very well possibly is supposed to pass away today. Hospice is already involved. It's a heavy time. One of the funerals I did was for a 41-year-old man. I'm about to be 38. That's basically my age. He had three kids and passed away at age 41. If you're still thinking that life's all it's cracked up to be and life's the, the final thing and the most important thing, you have yet to understand that soon and very soon, you're going to meet this God. Soon and very soon, you're going to stand before him, and he has told us very clearly that he sent his son Jesus to live and die for us. And if you would come to him and say, God, forgive me of my sins, he will forgive you of your sins. He will welcome you into his family. He will wash you clean, and he will set you on the path of living your life for God. If you're here today and you've been thinking about any of that, Don't wait. Commit yourself to Christ. People mock God all the time. Some of those because they don't believe in him. Some of us that do believe in him because we're not focused. But God cannot be mocked. He's our father in heaven, maker of the world. He is who he is and he does what he pleases. And he loves us. Will you believe in him today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for these few verses that perhaps didn't need to be in there. We didn't really want to know what happened behind the scenes as he's going to be crucified. But Father, thank you for showing us that disrespect. Because upon seeing that mocking, that dishonoring, and that disrespecting God, you have renewed my heart and, and revived my heart to say, I don't ever want to do that to him. Father, I pray you'd bow me down and forgive me of my sins. And I pray for every one of us here that we would do that very thing. Father, I pray that you would help our church to not mock you. I pray, Father, that you would Give every one of us a humbled, burdened heart that God would be honored in our lives and in our deaths and everything that we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.